Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to the Eric Erickson Show podcast, Hour 2. Hello, America. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, if you want to be on the show with me today, 877-973-7425. Absolutely delighted to have you. I want to talk about China. I got to talk about China in a different way than what a lot of people would talk about China. Because there actually is an intriguing story, and of all places, the New York Times today, about China. You know, if you're a conservative, you, you got criticisms of the New York Times. I saw a quote the other day from a pastor, and the quote was that sexuality is to modern culture what wealth was to the rich young ruler. If you know the story in in the New Testament of the rich young ruler who wanted to know how to um, have eternal life, uh, Jesus essentially told him, give up your wealth. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Uh, Sex and sexuality are the same thing in our current culture, both uh, how you uh, how you define yourself sexually, who you sleep with, all of that, those definitions, that, that is the same thing today. People can't give it up. And the New York Times uh, idolizes it. Uh, you, you read the New York Times and you see an idea of what someone who wants to be a Western elite believes and acts out in society And it's all tied around sexual identity. The New York Times has lots of problems. Uh, It is a a guidebook, if you will, a catechism, a friend of mine said last night in an email, for a Western secular elite. And the church used to combat these things, but does not these days too often, except in small, tight-knit communities, particularly in the South. But there are still things you can learn at the New York Times. There are still things you can understand about the New York Times. And one of the things you can learn and understand about the New York Times is, surprisingly, it is hostile to the Chinese Communist Party. You have to understand the institutional history of the ownership of the New York Times to understand that while it has writers and editors and opinion pieces and editorialists and reporters who are sympathetic to communism and communists, look at what's his name, Durante or whoever, and Stalin, the institution itself is of the West, of a particular set of the West that you and I are not a part of, but of the West nonetheless. And so you actually get remarkably clear-eyed coverage of the Chinese Communist Party from many of the world reporters, many of whom have been harassed by the Chinese communists. 
And they have a story in the New York Times. They've put it in their business section. China is suffering a brain drain. The U.S. isn't exploiting it. China's brightest minds, including tech professionals, are immigrating, E-M, not I-M. They're leaving China, but many are not headed to America. China, you need to understand, had, and I use past tense deliberately, China had an innovative entrepreneurial class of citizen. That entrepreneurial, innovative class of citizen decided to invent for themselves. What's one of the things the Chinese have always been notable for? Stealing. The Chinese Communist Party steals intellectual developments. A friend of mine who is listening right now, who will go nameless to protect him, pointed out that that story in the Wall Street Journal a few weeks ago that China has hypersonic missile capabilities, the United States does not, and we've fallen behind, says that is flat-out BS, and he's in a position to know. And he said in a text message to me, where do you think China stole the technology from? The Chinese typically steal their technology. If you've ever watched Star Trek, the next generation in particular, you know who the Ferengi are. Well, you understand the Chinese Communist Party. They steal other people's technology and claim it as their own. They're not really innovators. They're thieves of intellectual property. Except, over the last couple of decades, China realized it couldn't continue reliably to grow through the theft of other people's property and the innovation of the theft. They had to invent their own. And they fostered a massive entrepreneurial class of people. The problem is... Economic liberalism brings political liberalism, and I don't mean that in the sense of progressives. I mean that in the sense of freedoms. Economic freedoms brings political freedoms. You grow economically. You inspire an entrepreneurial class. That entrepreneurial class wants more say in government, and in getting that say in government, government becomes more open and accessible to others, and over time, the monopoly of the Chinese Communist Party begins to break down. Where in China, you could superficially have a Chinese Communist Party, but within that Chinese Communist Party, you could have various sub-parties all underneath it. And ultimately, it brings the Chinese Communist Party to, to meaningless ends. And so Xi Jinping, recognizing that economic freedom brings political freedom, thinks freedom is bad and shut down the economic freedom. This is from the New York Times. They went to the best universities in China and the West. They lived middle-class lives in Beijing, Shanghai, and Shenzhen and worked for technology companies at the center of China's tech rivalry with the United States. Now they're living and working in North America, Europe, Japan, Australia, and just about any developed country. China, from young people to entrepreneurs, are voting with their feet to escape political oppression, bleak economic prospects, and often grueling work cultures. Increasingly, the exodus includes tech professionals and other well-educated middle-class Chinese. I left China because I didn't like the social and political environment, says Chin Ling Si, 26, who worked on artificial intelligence products at Baidu and Alibaba, two of China's biggest tech companies, before leaving in 2020. 
He made the decision after China abolished the term limit for the presidency, a move that allowed its top leader, Xi Jinping, to stay in power indefinitely. I will not return to China until it becomes democratic, he said, and the people can live without fear. He works for Meta in London. The purpose of the story from the New York Times is to figure out why are these people not fleeing China? We know why they're fleeing China. Why are they not coming to the land of the free and the home of the brave? Now listen to this. In the 1980s and 90s, when China was poor, its best and brightest sought to study and work and stay in the West. Immigration, that is EM immigration, meaning outflow, not inflow. Immigration on net peaked in 1992 with more than 870,000 people leaving the country. That number fell to a low of roughly 125,000 in 2012 as China emerged from poverty to become a tech power in the world's second biggest economy. The Chinese government worked hard to keep them, rolling out incentives to lure back scientists and other skilled people. In 2018, more than 80% of Chinese who studied abroad returned home. The trend has reversed. In 2022, despite passport and travel restrictions, more than 310,000 Chinese on net left China. With three months to go this year, the number has reached the same level as the whole of 2022. Quite a few people I interviewed started thinking of leaving the country after China amended its constitution to turn... Xi Jinping effectively into a ruler for life. The zero COVID campaign and three years of lockdowns was the last straw. Many people feared to talk to the Times because of government retaliation. As Xi Jinping increased rule by fear and propaganda, the social and political atmosphere grew tense and suffocating. So why not the United States? Because as much as we have made it really easy for people to illegally cross our border, we have made it really difficult to immigrate here legally. Many of these people said they would love to come to the United States, but it's simply too legally cumbersome to do. Some of them have gone to Canada to be close to the United States, others to Great Britain. Some said, well, it's too much the gun control laws of the United States. They're scared of the United States. But most of them simply wanted to go to the United States but couldn't. They wanted to come here. Mr. Zhao is a U.S. educated software engineer who quit his job at an autonomous driving startup in Beijing and now works in Western Europe. He described his long and anxious journey to the United States. He grew up in a poor village in China's Shangdong province. He went to the United States for a doctoral degree in engineering. At the beginning, he intended to return after graduation. China was on the rise. But China's response to the pandemic caused Mr. Zhao to start questioning his beliefs. But it wouldn't be easy to stay in the United States. 
he had a job offer, would get temporary employment status as a graduate in science and engineering, but it would only last for three years. He'd have to participate in the H-1B work visa lottery. There was a 40% chance he wouldn't win the lottery by the end of three years. Then he'd have to go back to China, and he didn't want to go back to China. We are losing out to other countries because we have so uh, ruined the ability of smart people to come to this country and set up shop. We have a reluctance in this country to allow more people to come. When we actually need more people, we're headed towards the death spiral of a nation with our population decline. And yet we've got a lot of people who are very smart from China who do not like the communist regime there, who would like to come here, but we've made it too complicated. You want to beat China, steal their smart people and have them work for us. Will there be some spies? Yes. Will there be some clandestine operatives who are really loyal to China? Yes, there always are. We did this with the Soviets as well. We would encourage people to migrate to the West from the Soviet Union. Some of them turned out to be spies. Most of them turned out to be people committed to ending the cause of the Soviet regime. Same with China. But they can't because we've screwed up our immigration laws. It is now easier for someone to sneak across our border than to come here legally. And that's a damning indictment on the system in Washington, the bureaucracy, and Congress itself that sees an opportunity like this to steal from China its best and brightest entrepreneurs who do not like the Chinese Communist Party and Xi Jinping, and they can't come here because we've made it too difficult. This is maddening. We should be causing a Chinese brain drain. The brain drain is already happening. The best and the brightest are fleeing the Chinese Communist Party. But we can't get our act in order. So it's easier for people to either go elsewhere or just walk across the border illegally. But then they can't get the jobs that we would want these people to have. We have got to figure this out. Guys, if you're a small, mid-sized business, you're struggling with HR issues, you have employees not showing up, or you got to do a termination, you need onboarding of employees, maybe there's a sexual harassment complaint, you want an HR manager. You don't want to be the bad guy with your employees. Bambi can play the role of HR for you. $99 a month, available by phone, email, real-time chat. They do onboardings, terminations. They help your team members get to peak performance and your business stays compliant with changing HR regulations regardless of which state. They're great. Now, they're U.S.-based. They, you got somebody to talk to who's dedicated to your team. They give you access to HR expertise and they add personal touches. So even though they're outsourced by your company, they really feel like they're a part of your team. That matters. Go to Bambi.com right now. Type in Eric Erickson under podcast. When you sign up, it'll help my show. Bambi.com, B-A-M-B-E-E.com, Bambi.com, Eric Erickson in the podcast tab. Hello there. Welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number is 877-973-7425. If you want to be on the program, delighted to have you with me today. Now, I need to talk about the Iran spy ring because uh, Tablet Magazine is more explicitly than anyone else since the Semaphore story I told you about last week. So let me back up for those of you who weren't listening. Uh, Semaphore is a new online publication and essentially says that Iran built up a network of influencers that it then embedded within institutions of the West. 
to help shape Iran policy. And one of the individuals wound up becoming the chief of staff to the assistant secretary of defense. And Tablet Magazine is going out of its way now to say it was actually a spy ring. Lee Smith at Tablet has this piece. The Biden administration's now suspended Iran envoy, Robert Malley, helped to fund, support, and direct an Iranian intelligence operation designed to influence the United States and allied governments, according to a trove of purloined Iranian government emails. The emails, which were reported on by veteran Wall Street Journal columnist Jay Solomon, writing in Semaphore, and by Iran International, the London-based immigre opposition outlet, which is the most widely read independent news source inside Iran, were published last week after being extensively verified over a period of several months by the two outlets. They show that Mali had helped to infiltrate an Iranian agent of influence named Ariane Tabatabe into some of the most sensitive positions in the U.S. government, first at the State Department and now the Pentagon, where she's been serving as chief of staff for the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Special Operations, Christopher Mayer. On Thursday, Mayer told a congressional committee the Defense Department is actively looking into whether all law and policy were properly followed in granting my chief of staff top-secret special compartmented information. The contents of the emails are damning, showing a group of Iranian-American academics being recruited by the Iranian regime, meeting together in foreign countries to to receive instructions from top regime officials and pledging their personal loyalty to the regime. This is only just starting to get traction, and major media outlets in this country have still avoided covering it, but it does appear Iran has been running a massive spy ring inside the Biden administration in their quest to get a nuclear weapon. Unbelievable. Americans for Prosperity focuses mostly on domestic stuff, but raises awareness on issues like this because, I mean, it just shows you the ineptitude, incompetence, and also the maliciousness of some within the Biden administration, like with Bidenomics, which is malicious and destructive of the American economy. Americans for Prosperity has been raising awareness about it and educating people on why Bidenomics is bad and also how to reignite the American dream. They're not just there to bellyache about the Biden administration, but to provide solutions to the problems, including reigniting the American dream through comprehensive overhauls of regulations. They want you on their team. They want to educate you and then get you in front of your neighbors and your local governments and state governments on how you can fight back against Bidenomics. Join them at americansforprosperity.org slash Eric today. americansforprosperity.org slash E-R-I-C-K. You sign up with Americans for Prosperity, and Americans for Prosperity will educate you and make you highly influential in your local community to fight for free markets and free people. Hello and welcome. It is Eric Erickson here. The phone number, 877-973-7425. Real quick, I got to, well, okay. Um, I I do want to talk about this. If you weren't here for the first hour, a point I have made more and more often in the rise of conspiracy theories is one thing that happens is people 
like Matt Gates, for example, structure paths forward for operating, knows where those paths are designed to lead, goes public telling people what's going to happen, and then when it happens, he looks like a prophet. Now, what the people don't see is that he engineered it to happen that way. So, for example, Matt Gates two weeks ago, started talking about how Kevin McCarthy was uninterested in passing any meaningful debt reduction in Congress. Kevin McCarthy, about that time, produces legislation that was structured by the House Freedom Caucus that would give 8% across the board spending cuts outside of, def- outside of defense. Defense and Veterans Affairs would not be touched Overall, total 8%, everything else cut. Gates says McCarthy really doesn't want to do this. He actually wants to grow government and keep it funded with the help of Democrats. So what does Matt Gates do then? Uh, McCarthy's plan, structured by the House Freedom Caucus, would reduce the size and scope of government by 8% outside of defense. So Gates then convinces five other Republicans to kill it. So six Republicans scuttle a plan that would have cut government by 8%. The House Republicans respond with another plan that would increase border security, would cut Ukraine funding, but otherwise wouldn't cut government. And Matt Gates works to kill it. And along the while, all the while, keep saying McCarthy only wants to fund government with the Democrats. He's going to fund the government. He's going to cut a deal with the Democrats. Well, you get to 12 hours before the government shutdown. Matt Gates and five other Republicans have killed everything else. They have no proposal of their own. They've never floated a proposal of their own. They just killed everything else. So what does McCarthy do? McCarthy Majority of the Republicans and all the Democrats get together. They pass a continuing resolution that keeps the status quo. Gates runs out and says, aha, I told you he was going to do this. Well, yeah, because you killed everything else. This was the only thing that could happen because you, Matt Gates, engineered it to be so. You're not a prophet, man. You're trying to be. This is a pattern particularly on the populist right. The far left does this as well, but there's another one that's happening right now. Tangent, intentional tangent. So a show that I like to watch is called The Righteous Gemstones. I don't recommend it. It has a lot of language, and I got to tell you, the last two weeks have had more uh, male frontal nudity than I ever wanted to see in my lifetime last two episodes of the of the show. Um I like good lord don't don't need it don't want it. It is a deeply funny show but it is very vulgar. It's on HBO. Uh, the language is horrible. It's about a um prosperity gospel minister in the south at a mega church and his three dysfunctional kids. John Goodman plays the father and the three spoiled brats who take over the church assemblies of god style church when he leaves. Um, are just, they're, they're completely dysfunctional, spoiled brats, mental cases, all of them. Now, one of the subplots of this season is that John Goodman and his wife 
His wife is uh, dead in the series, but revealed in flashbacks to be Jennifer Nettles, the lead singer of Sugarland. Uh, and in 1999, they were selling uh, survival buckets for Y2K. Just in case the world comes to an end, you'll be safe by God's grace if you buy this survival bucket. And so one of the characters in the third season goes all in, spends all of his family savings on these survival buckets. And guess what? Y2K was fairly well a nothing burger. And it's revealed essentially that the the lead character and his wife, they didn't really believe that the world was going to come to an end, but they made a lot of money off of those who did. They made a lot of money. They amplified a threat in the media. Y2K could cause problems. And by the way, Y2K did cause some problems. For those of you not familiar with Y2K, it was the way computers had been programmed prior to the year 2000. It was some old embedded code from, I think, the 70s and 80s in some processors that could stop the computers when you got to um, the year 2000 because it would roll them over to not 2000 but back to 00, and it would confuse the computers to start over almost. The, the dates would be completely off. And a lot of engineers spent a lot of time pouring a lot of resources into rewriting computer code and updating old systems so that Y2K did not end in disaster. But there was a lot of work behind the scenes. You and I saw it as a nothing burger. The computer engineers who had to do a lot of programming and updating for uh, the year runtime before it, uh, they're the ones who put in the equity and the, and the sweat equity to make it look like nothing. But the conspiracy theorists fear-mongered that the end of the world was nigh. And it's an element woven into this Righteous Gemstone show for this season, a plot device. Tomorrow, the United States is going to go through a national emergency alert test. Here's the sound. Kidding. (laughs) Can't play the sound. You're not allowed to play the sound. Uh, it's against the law to actually play the sound unless you actually are in a national emergency alert uh, or a test conducted by the government. Uh, I do that because I got a memo this morning uh, from my boss and radio say, whatever you people do, do not play that sound. It's against the law. Uh, and it is. So you can't play the sound, but you know what the sound is. The sounds like a modem sort of thing. And then it says, this is an emergency alert of the system. Remember when they did it in Hawaii and they, they, they announced that North Korea had launched a nuclear missile at Hawaii? I know somebody who was on vacation with his wife and they just assumed they were about to die because it was not conducted as a test. It, there was no test notification. It was just sent out that we're all going to die. So somebody sent me uh, um, uh, a write-up online, and apparently, allegedly, Russia's doing some sort of nuclear test today. And then we're doing the national emergency alert test tomorrow. So let me just read you the end of it. Does this mean something really bad will happen on Wednesday? Probably not. They are telling us it's just a test, and hopefully that's all there is. But they are obviously practicing because they believe there is a reason to do so. Well, no, no poop, Sherlock. I mean, the whole reason for this national test is what? 
September 11th, 2001. You may not remember this, but on September 11th, 2001, four airlines were hijacked. Two flown into buildings in New York, one into the Pentagon, and one into a field in Pennsylvania. And we did not have a national emergency notification system. We also did not have smartphones other than Blackberries at the time. But then you got the iPhone, and then you got all the Android devices whose ideas were stolen from the iPhone. Now you have all these other integrated devices. So it made sense that over time we would integrate a national emergency alert system into all of these things. So your cell phone at 2.20 p.m. Eastern time tomorrow is going to go off and make sound unless you turn it off. Doesn't matter. Allegedly, for some of them, if they're on mute, it's still going to make the sound. All going to happen for all of us at the same time nationwide. So the conspiracy theorists are out saying, I bet there's a reason for this. You're darn right there's a reason for this. We had an attack on the nation in 2001, and there was no good way for the nation to, to get the word out. We had to wait for George W. Bush to land in Louisiana to address the nation and know what's going on. That's why we have the system, and yes, they're going to test it. Why are they going to test it? Because we need an integrated system. And they got to make sure those integrations work. This will be the first time that this nationwide emergency alert test has gone concurrently to radio and television, satellite radio, and cell phones. It took them a long time to figure out how to get it done on satellite radio, by the way. It's going to go to all of it, all at one time. That's why they're doing it. They're, but the conspiracy theorists among us... Like, well, there must be some reason they're testing it. Russia's doing this test too. Something bad must happen. You know, listen, I'm old enough to have seen many of the COVID conspiracy theories come true. And the reason they came true is because we all know what the truth was. And our national uh, health leaders were lying to us. And there's an overwhelming distrust of government now. Government, we have seen, particularly the bureaucrats who want power, lie. They start lying to maintain their power. They got a, Tony Fauci got a taste of power and didn't want to give it up. But what that has spawned now are a bunch of people on the far left and the far right who string, connect dots, string things together that are otherwise unconnected and convince you that they're connected. Not everything is. Some things really are a coincidence. Some things really just happen out of the blue. Some things aren't planned. And some things we've been given distinct advance notice. Here comes the National Emergency Alert Test on Wednesday. It's a system that we have to test to make sure it operates across cell phones, satellite radio, regular radio, live streaming radio, television, satellite television, all of these different components. That's how it's designed to work. There's no grand conspiracy. They're not doing it because they think something bad will happen. The something bad already happened on September 11, 2001, and we didn't have a system in place for the government to be able to notify anyone without physically manually landing Air Force One, trotting the president down the steps and putting him before a microphone and cameras to address the nation. This system was brought about because of that. And it's going to be tested. If you want to worry about it, I can't stop you from worrying about it. But I will tell you, Jesus said worry is a sin.
can't keep you from worrying about a lot of stuff. What I can help you do is plan because good planning can sometimes help you not worry. And one of those is to plan your portfolio. And you may be interested in using precious metals as part of your portfolio. Swiss America has been the nation's trusted leader for 40 years. They couldn't get you in the door on this. Not only can they get you in the door, but they can give you a great deal on a walking Liberty half dollar. The walking Liberty half dollar is a beautiful silver coin minted by the U.S. Mint. It works as a great gift collector's item and also entryway into precious metal portfolio building. You can get them for $13.50 each delivered from Swiss America, up to 250 of them per customer. To get them, you call 800-289-2646 or text 800-289-2646. Or you go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric, SwissAmerica.com slash E-R-I-C-K. Or call or text my name, the 800-289-2646. Message and data rates will apply on that. Keep that in mind. So if you mention me in text or call, you can get the uh, Walking Liberty Half Dollar for a great deal. Or go to SwissAmerica.com slash Eric. Let Swiss America get you into precious metal investing. Remember, they for IRA and 401k investments, there are rules that you have to comply with. Swiss America can get you educated on those as well. Welcome. It's Eric Erickson here across the nation. The phone number, 877-973-7425. There's a fascinating article in the Associated Press about engineers trying to figure out why so many things built so long ago last better than things now. For example, industrial concrete made today lasts about 100 years. Roman concrete, 2,000 years ago, continues to last. And we're starting to have a sense of why. Um, Admir Masik is a civil and environmental engineer at MIT and suggests the Romans put chunks of lime in their materials. And as the building materials cracked, the lime mixed with incoming water and essentially sealed itself. Marie Jackson is a geologist at the University of Utah. She suggests it's actually specific volcanic rocks that uh, did that. Same thing happens now in uh, Copanamayan civilization in Honduras. Lime sculptures and temples have remained intact, and they're trying to figure out why. Uh, particularly Rome. So there are harbors in the Mediterranean that still use the Roman walls because the Roman walls 2,000 years later hold up better than the stuff we've built in the last 100 years. And they have no idea why. They've only just really discovered that it has to do with the material components. So essentially you mix gravel and, and water with uh, lime and ash and you make concrete. The Romans left lots of chunks of lime and volcanic rock in. And for years, scientists thought that just meant they weren't mixing well enough or they didn't have the capacity. And now, surprisingly, it's looking like the Romans knew what they were doing by mixing in these chunks. The chunks could over time dissolve and begin to make resealing compounds. So much was lost in the dark ages. When I was a kid, I just assumed that it was smoke or fire or something. The world was violent and so it looked dark. It's not what we mean by the dark ages. We The loss of knowledge. The loss of knowledge. When Rome collapsed, we fell into the dark ages. We lost knowledge. People's lifespans collapsed. The industrial progress of the Romans disappeared. People forgot how to build things. 
They forgot how to build an aqueduct. They forgot they lost the recipe to Roman concrete. They lost so much. It was the Dark Ages. The Renaissance period uh, is where we started coming out of that. We, we rediscovered uh, ideas and knowledge. We found a lot of stuff hidden inside monasteries. A lot of Roman knowledge disappeared inside the walls of monasteries. So much of Rome, uh, you know, uh, what's his name, who wrote the history of the decline and fall of, of the Roman Empire, said it was the church that caused the collapse of Rome because the best and brightest used to go to the Roman bureaucracy. And then with the rise of the church, the best and brightest went to serve God, not the glory of the empire, but the glory of God. And all those geniuses went into the church, but those geniuses captured and spirited away a lot of the knowledge of the Roman Empire that started trickling out when we started going into the monasteries during the Renaissance period. Fascinating, fascinating history. We're still trying to figure out, though, the secret to Roman concrete 2,000 years later.